We uh, are going to go ahead and take a look at this passage again, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 13. I think it's good for us to get the context of it before we go and we focus in on verse 5 today. So let's take a look at this, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Um, I want to point out again, this is significant. That statement is significant because Jesus saw the crowds and he intentionally pulled his disciples away for this moment. So, so I think it's good for us to maybe imagine that we are on that mountain with Jesus right now. Okay, he's, he's preaching this word to us. Then he began to teach them by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely on, the account, on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. Uh, the title of our series, I want to remind us, is Being Salt. Being Salt. What does it mean to be salty? We've established this a little bit, but I want to go back and just remind us. Jesus is giving us the characteristics of a salty person in the Beatitudes, each one is a characteristic, a quality of who Jesus is. And what he's saying to his disciples is, as I am, so I, will, I am calling you to be. He's calling them to be like him. Remember what he said to his disciples in another place? He said, it's, he said it's, it's enough for a student to become like his teacher. The point, the point of that is that if you are a student of Jesus... Your, your job is to become like Jesus. You've taken on what, uh, we talk about this often, we've taken on his yoke, right? We've taken on his way. That's what it means to put on a teacher's yoke, to put on that teacher's patterns. That te- not only what that teacher believes and, and teaches, but also the patterns of that person. I think one of the things we've struggled with in the church throughout Western history especially is we've done a great job of teaching the Word, but we haven't always done a great job of practicing what we teach. And Jesus doesn't want us to stop with just knowing about Him. He wants us to actually be like Him. And that's why we say that our job here at New Covenant Fellowship is to help people to learn to be in Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Right? We, we know it's not enough for the gospel to be something that, we've, that we know in our heads, but it's got to be something that we express because it's become internalized in our hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us in these Beatitudes. So if you want to have the flavor of Jesus, these are critical. And we've talked about the fundamental problem of humanity. 
The fundamental problem of humanity, I believe, is that we have chosen to walk in self-centeredness with our father, Adam, rather than in self-sacrifice with God. And so everyone's kind of out for his own self or her own self. And, and I, I, people challenge me on this and say, well, I've seen people do good things for others. I'm like, yeah, but they never do it with the right motives apart from Christ. Because it's always about some kind of building myself up. Either I, I'm, I'm trying to feel good about myself and so I do nice things, or I'm an old person and I want to get into heaven, so I do nice things, right? You, some of you all know these people, they get nice as they get older because all of a sudden they've started to realize the end is near and they don't want to stand before God and, 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 and be a mess. But what they don't understand is none of their goodness is going to cover up the past. We have to be washed in the blood of Jesus, covered in his righteousness, because our righteousness is never going to be good enough. And what we really need is not just a, a, a change of, of, of appearances. We don't just need to change our ways. We need a heart transformation. We need a heart transplant, if you will. And that's the only way. Uh, I'm going to use my dad as a sermon illustration today. He doesn't know this. But uh, he told me his story. He used to tell me this story. In fact, he's told me this story multiple times. I think he's kind of proud of it. But anyway, um, he told me a story about uh, when he was a young man, and he, uh, uh, he ended up as a 16-year-old with the Pontiac GTO. Which, by the way, you know, um, I, anyway, I'll, I'll, I, I'm a, this story in, in some ways frustrates me because I think this is, is the reason why I never got a muscle car. But anyway, um, <laughs> My, uh, my, my dad got a Pontiac GTO, and, uh, and those are kind of quick. I don't know if you all knew that. Uh, they also sound really nice. They're, I'm a car guy. I mean, I, this kind of stuff is what I geek out over, okay? But, um, but, but uh, he had this car, and, uh, and it was customary in those days, as also it is today, if you've ever driven down 39th on a Saturday, to, uh, to, to street race your car, right? Uh, and, and you had to prove you had the faster car than the other guy, right? Uh, isn't that about right, Dad? Yeah. You had to prove you had the faster car. And so they would street race, and that GTO probably didn't be very often, did it? No, no. That's, that's a good, it's a fast car. Well, uh, one day, one particular day, he'd been challenged to a race, and they were driving like madmen around a corner. Dad lost control of the car and wrecked it. Is that about how the story goes, Dad, approximately? Yeah. Um, wrecked the GTO, Okay. Now, I will, I will be the first to tell you that for me, being a, a car enthusiast, uh, uh, I don't so much cry when people die in movies because I know that's not real, you know? I, I, I'm like, that's not real. It's just a movie. It's fake. But when they destroy a car, I'm like, that's real. That's a practical effect. You actually destroyed a classic car. You know how many General Lees the Dukes of Hazard killed? I mean, anyways, I'm... Um, anyway, but, but dad wrecked the GTO. Now, I, I have a little tear for the GTO. I, I'm, I'm, you know, now they, they, they rebuilt the GTO, they, but it was never quite the same. Is that, is that right, dad? So they sold it. He replaced the GTO with a Plymouth Roadrunner, correct? Plymouth Roadrunner. That's an upgrade. Mopar guys, can I hear you? That's an upgrade, okay. Um, and uh, and he, he, so he got the Plymouth Roadrunner, and, um, but then... Uh, his friends would continue to challenge him to races, but what dad told me after that GTO wreck, he realized that he really didn't need to prove that his car was faster than the other guys. He knew it was. And uh, it, with the Roadrunner, it most certainly was faster than the, anyways, um, than the other guys. But, but he, he, he just come to realize, hey, I've got power under the hood of this thing. I don't need to prove it. 
because the reality is when I wreck the car, they're not going to pay the bills to fix it. And so I might as well just enjoy the car and I know I have power, but I don't have to prove anything. Is that, is that pretty accurate there, Dad? Uh, I remember the story pretty well. Also, uh, because of that, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm pretty sure that's why I didn't get the Corvette that we were looking at when I was a teenager. But anyway, whatever. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's fine. <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about what it means to be a meek-hearted person. And a, a meek person isn't necessarily someone who is powerless. You know, I think that's the way the world thinks of meekness. The world thinks of meekness as someone who's weak. Uh, meek and weak are not the same. Think of, some, of, of meekness as someone who is powerless or doesn't have the ability to, to do for themselves, and so they have to trust in somebody else. These are the people that would say, you Christians, just use your religion as a crutch. Uh, I'm like, listen, if you don't have a leg, it's better to have a prosthetic. You know what I mean? But, but anyway, um, no, but that's not how the gospel works, right? The gospel actually gives me a new leg, so that's, that's another story. But, but, I, but those people don't understand. They don't, what they don't understand is it's not that we don't have some kind of strength. It's that what we have is never enough. And even if we have power, we know that, that our power is not enough to bring us where we need to be. And so truly strong people are people who understand that sometimes you have to rely on someone stronger than you. But humans crave power. We crave recognition from the world. We, we always seem to feel as if we have to prove ourselves. I got to show you that I got the faster car. I got to show you that, that I can, you know, get the most reps on the bench press. A couple of weeks ago, uh, by the way, it's about time the Sooners won a game, okay? Um, man, a couple of weeks ago, when the Sooners played, against Kansas State. We don't want to have to think about this. I'm sorry for bringing up this pain. But, um, but I remember the, you know, the first part of that game went really well until it didn't, you know. Um, but it went really well for a while. They were, they, were, they were kicking tail. They were taking names. They were doing what they were supposed to do, you know. Lincoln Riley was happy. Alex Grinch was happy. Then it melted down. But what I remembered seeing is some of those guys were tackling the other team. And they were taunting the other team, acting like they'd already gotten there. That's when you know someone's in trouble, right? Like, so these, these, these defensive guys, by the way, OU has not been known for having a very good defense lately. I don't know if we've all noticed that. If we're watching football, we know. They have, it's, it's been the offense that has been what, what has got them by, okay? But, but those guys were tackling these Kansas State players, and they were taunting them. And I have one player in particular, and I'm not going to call the kid out because he's a college kid, all right? I don't do that to college kids. But, but he, he would tackle the, play, the player and then, like, literally just sit there and taunt him. And then they went to lose the game. And then I'm wondering what the coach said to that kid in the locker room, you know? Um, but... Listen, you can have all the raw power in the world. You can have all the raw strength in the world. But that doesn't make you a champion. Doesn't make you 
truly strong or powerful. Truly strong and powerful people are able to set themselves aside. We Christians, unlike the world, have come to the place where we understand that we have a greater power and we have approval in Christ. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. What I have in Christ is enough. We don't have to flex on anyone, right? We don't, we don't have to dominate anyone. We don't have to... Guess, here, this is, this is a big one for me because uh, I have wrestled with this in my life. And just, just to be transparent, we don't have to win the argument. Right? We don't have to prove ourselves. We know what we have in Christ is enough. We know what we have in Christ is enough. A truly strong person does not have to prove his or her strength because they know they are strong. So, let's talk about the kingdom of God because we get this from Jesus, right? We, we get this whole idea from Jesus. Kingdom value is meekness. The world's value is power or self-confidence. We might even say the word hubris. We don't use that word very much. It's like prideful self-confidence. That's why Darth Vader was able to take out Emperor Palpatine, by the way. Um, but any, that's another story for another day. But uh, um, it's hubris. This idea that we've got it under control. We don't need any help. Stupid self-confidence, really. If you think about it, it's like, it's, I don't need anybody. It's just, you know, it's just me. It's like that James Dean, you know, uh, mentality. It's, it's that, you know, I'm a loner. I don't need anybody. It's, that's kind of the American mentality, right? Like, I got this. I don't need help. And, and I'm, I'm strong. Uh, I saw a post on Facebook a few days ago. A friend was struggling. This person said that, just openly said, you know, she was struggling. And and all the comments from her friends were like, you got this. You're enough. You're strong. And I thought, man, she doesn't need more of herself. She needs Jesus. And so, of course, I went on there. I was like, hey, because I know this, this, this young lady was a part of one of my youth groups. And uh, back when I was a youth pastor, and I told her, hey, you're a dearly loved daughter of the king. Jesus loves you. That's what you need to know right now. That, in, in, that even if you're not enough in this moment, Jesus loves you in this moment. He loves you in all moments. He loves you when you're low. He loves you when you're high because you're his daughter. And the father doesn't stop loving his children, you know? So C.S. Lewis once said, and this is in Mere Christianity, he wrote, We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or clever or better-looking than others. If everyone else becomes equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. What did Satan say in the garden to Adam that tempted him to take the fruit? He said, you'll be like God. You know what's weird is he already was like God. He already was. The Bible says that, he, that God made Adam in his own image. Adam was already like God. He didn't need to add a thing to himself to be like God. But he listened to the enemy. And you know what, what was deep down inside? He started having that pride. He started thinking, yeah, I can be more than I am. I don't need God to be great. Before you know it, Adam was turned in on himself. 
and look where we are now. Nothing's changed. It's only gotten worse. So who are the meek and why are they blessed? Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Who are the meek and why are they blessed? Let's look at that for a second here. To be meek, I just want to give a few character traits of a meek person. A meek person is humble. A meek person is patient. A meek person is submissive. And a meek person is gentle. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just a few that I, I could think of off the top of my head. But again, like we've already said, it doesn't make a person weak. It doesn't mean that you're not capable. You are capable. God made you to be a capable person, by the way. It's just apart from Christ, we aren't everything that we could be. We're damaged. We're broken. We need restored. But there are hints of the light and the glory of God in every person. Even the worst sinner has a hint of the light and the glory of God. Although it may be twisted, it may be taken down a wrong path, but there's a hint of it there. So when we come to know Jesus, what happens is God restores the light and the glory to the place where he designed us to be. And it's a work in progress because we're still human. We're still fighting against our, our, our human nature. But we know there's a future glory that's coming that's going to far surpass anything we've ever experienced, right? We know that everything that we're experiencing today is only types and shadows of what's to come. And that's awesome. But in this moment, our job is to learn what the ideal us would look like, and that's Jesus, and strive to enter into that. I hold by my statement earlier that the, those who are able to restrain their power are actually the strongest people. Not those who walk around acting like they are the strongest. I remember in, in uh, school, back in elementary school, you'd always have that kid who like, wanted to arm wrestle everybody. You, know? you, you guys know that kid, right? He's like, yeah, man, I, got, I'm, I, I can arm wrestle anybody. It's all fun and games until that kid that everybody thought was a, a wimp beats him because that kid didn't have to prove himself, right? I've seen it more than once. I've seen it on the playground. I've seen it in football games. I've seen it in uh, car races. Jesus was the meekest person who ever lived. Let's think about this for a minute because uh, there is no match, okay? There is no match. Because there has never been a stronger or more powerful human being than Jesus. And yet, he never felt a need to show off. When the devil took him up and, and tried to convince him, hey, show your power. Right? Like the devil says, hey, you're hungry, Jesus. Look, there's a rock. Turn that thing into bread. You can do it. Jesus could have done it, couldn't he? I mean, the, the one who spoke all things into existence could have turned that rock into bread. He didn't even need a rock. He could have just materialized bread, like Star Trek stuff, you know, like materialized some bread right there. Like, like he could have done whatever. But what did he say? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He is our example. 
of meekness. He says, I don't need to prove myself also. Even though I'm hungry, I don't have to take it for myself. I know the Father's going to take care of me. He was patient. He was humble. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I have a hard time making it till dinner time without grabbing some food sometimes. <laughs> anybody else with me on that? I mean, come on, you know? Like, uh, anybody else have a little snacky streak in them, you know? Um, Jesus went 40 days. <laughs> Just like... And then when he had the opportunity right there, he didn't even take it because he was trusting the Father. He was patiently waiting. That's meekness. He had the power to do it, but he refused to flex in that moment because he was waiting on the Father. Jesus though being Lord of all, willingly submitted himself to regular mistreatment by his own creatures and eventually was crucified by them in their place so that he could restore them. Now, another place in the scriptures, 1 John 3.16. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The world has a lot of definitions of love. I don't know if you all have noticed. They're all foolish. <laughs> um, but you can't tell people that because they don't, their minds are just not wired to understand. But we can show them a better way. Now, uh, one thing I love about what we're trying to build here is the reality that if we have lives that scream the glory of God, and people see the goodness of God in us, at some point they're going to get curious, just like Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3. And then guess what? Peter says, then you have an opportunity to tell them about the hope that is in you. And, it's a, and it comes with power. One of the things about Jesus' ministry that people were so attracted to is they saw in him that he had all this power. But, but he was so peaceful. He was so calm. He was so at rest. He didn't he didn't have to have anything. He didn't have to prove anything. Remember his brothers said, hey, his brothers told Jesus, hey, go show yourself at the festival because, you know, if you're trying to start this whole thing, this whole movement, you know, no one who tries to do, to, no one trying to do something like that hides, hides it. You go out in public where everyone can see you. And Jesus said, nah, I'm good. <laughs> they just didn't know what to do with him, right? No one knew what to do with Jesus because he was this calm presence. He had all this power. He was healing the sick in droves. He was speaking dead people back to life. And he was homeless. And he, would just, he, and he was just cool with it. And he just went through life with this peace that no one understood what he, was, what he was about. They just could not put their finger on him. He was so alien and so different and yet so human at the same time. It's an absurd level of meekness to this world. And here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, but, the, but you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is love? I think if we understand love, we can start to understand really the heart of meekness. Because love is about being turned away from yourself. I uh, had the honor of taking some close family friends through premarital counseling and doing their wedding recently. And when I opened the wedding, the thing I said is what makes a strong marriage is two people committed to self-sacrifice, not two people committed to self-fulfillment. But see, the reason most marriages in our country fail is because the two people go into the marriage with the wrong mentality to begin with. They go into the marriage thinking it's some Disney princess thing, and oh, he's going to make me happy, and, um, and, and he's, oh, she's my princess, and yeah, she's your princess until you wake up next to her, and she has bad breath and messy hair, okay? That's marriage right there for you, right? Listen, we, when you see the person for who they are at their most vulnerable moment, they're not going to be your hunk or your princess, so marriages that work are marriages where two people go into that saying, hey, I'm not expecting you to make me happy. I'm here to make you happy and satisfied. And that is meekness. That is meekness. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He did not come to flex his glory on this earth. Although he could have come to flex his glory, and it would not have been good for us. Trust me. Because if we are dead in our sins and trespasses and the glory of God shows up, we are toast. Like literally, I think we would be toast. I mean, hellfire, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it, be, but Jesus came as a servant. He entered in to our mess and he came to restore it. He came to clean up a mess he didn't make. And he washed it with his own blood because it was the only thing that was powerful enough to clean it. That is meekness. Jesus would have us to realize that the meek are those who are humble, gentle, patient, and submissive, just like him. Submissive, that's not a word we like in this culture. But what do we mean when we say to submit? It means I'm yielding to the Father. I'm yielding to the ways of God. I'm trusting that God's way is better than my way. Unlike my father Adam, who felt like he had to reach out and take it for himself, I am trusting God the Father putting my faith in him, and I'm trusting that he has my best interest in mind. That when God's word gives me a command, it's not because God wants to stifle me. It's not because God is, is, you know, wants, wants to make my life miserable. It's because he knows that if I follow my own passions and whims, that it's going to destroy me. But we're so programmed to think that God is this angry man up in the sky with a lightning bolt waiting to hit you when you step out of line just a little bit. That's not the kind of God we serve. God is a God who's about restoration, and he's a servant. How do we know this? Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All of these characteristics, all these beatitudes. You see, people think of the Old Testament God as this angry God. I'm like, no, he was never an angry God. He's always been a merciful God. He's always been about redemption. It's just that people don't listen very well. 
And people would rather have their own way rather, rather than his way. And, and the reason why God does not allow cultures and societies to progress to the ultimate extreme is because if they do, there's no return. And that sort of viral mentality spreads. And by the way, the reason he put the, reason he put the church here is so that we can preserve something that's rotten. So when we live this way, when we are salty, when we are meek, when we're poor in spirit, when we, have a, when we mourn over sin, and all these things are true in us, what begins to happen is people begin to see the truth of God expressed through the church, and that spreads. Listen, I will tell you that America has never been a Christian nation. I know that may shock some. It's never been a Christian nation. It's just that there have been times in history when there have been so many Christians that you wouldn't have been able to tell it. Right? Because the majority of people may have still not known Jesus, but there were so many Christians that it's like the people who weren't Christians felt pressured to be like the Christians. And so they were good, and there, was, there, were, there were ethics, and, the, and people, hey, they may have not believed it, but it was still the good book. You know what I mean? I mean, like, the, people knew the right thing because they saw a church that was living like Jesus, and they, they knew there was something to it. So we are preservative. If we, if we want to get back to that, look, it's not about trying to dominate the culture with our values. We have our values. We should hold them strongly. We should preach the truth strongly. But what it really is about is being actively Christian around people who are not Christian and letting them see the light in us while we speak the truth of it simultaneously. They want to see a gospel that's true and lived out by people who proclaim it. It's not going to be enough for the world to have a church full of people who can tell us about, can tell the world about Jesus, but don't have much Jesus presence on them. So I just, I want to say that, that meekness, just like these other Beatitudes we've been talking about, is really about repentance. It's about turning away from myself. It's about making my life not about me, but about, about the Lord and about others around me. When Jesus told the disciples that they were not to lord themselves over those under them, what he was saying is that we're not going to play by the world's rules. He says, I'm the greatest person you've ever met, and here I am washing your feet. That's the example. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. In the kingdom of heaven, people submit to one another. They prefer one another. They love one another. In fact, Scripture commands us that we're to prefer others in the church over ourselves. I've said this before, but I, I was in a church one time that had a fight over the organ. And, you know, I was thinking, man, this really exposes how little we know Jesus. Because if the young people who wanted the contemporary praise and worship music had really loved those older people, they would have said, no, you should have your organ. And we'll worship with you. And the older people should have been saying, no, 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 no. You have your guitars and your drums. We'll worship with you. And, and if they were both loving each other that ridiculously and radically, who knows what the music would have been like. But I'm going to tell you, there would have been peace in that church. 
If they were do what the scriptures say, outdo one another in doing good, that's meekness. Meekness is yielding our hearts to others and first to the Lord. Just like Jesus. I, I want to remind us of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Now, this is he's specifically addressing the women in the church because apparently in this church there was some fancy dressing ladies, okay? But, uh, but, but this applies to men too. Okay, I, I, I don't want to let us off the hook, gentlemen. This applies to us as well. And, and, and can I just say that Peter's not so much talking about appearance as he is the way we act. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Some people take this really legalistically, don't they? <laughs> That's not the point here. Okay, so, ladies, we're not, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that you can't look pretty, okay? But, but, but what he's saying is, look, let's not th- let that be the thing that we're, that we're most adorned by. He says, rather, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, very precious. And by the way, it's just like Jesus. It's just like Jesus. When the Bible says that he was unassuming, it doesn't mean he was ugly. I'm, I imagine Jesus was a pretty fine, strapping lad. He was a carpenter. The man, and by the way, do you realize that what they mostly built with in, those, in that part of the world were bricks and stones, not wood. So they were big bricks and stones. When they built a house, the carpenter would carry these massive bricks and stones. They may build a wood frame, but then they're building these massive masonry structures, and the carpenters did that. Jesus was probably a pretty big dude. Most likely, I, I just imagine my, I imagine Jesus is like ripped, like one of the power team guys, you know, like, like just big dude, you know. But he was so unassuming. He was so unassuming. That wasn't the first thing people noticed about Jesus was that he like had this, these carpenters, you know, biceps. But they noticed his lowly and gentle spirit, his meekness, his power under control. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, for my, Take my yoke upon you and, lean from, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Meekness. Meekness is being turned away from yourself and towards someone else. It's, it's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of, of, of prideful self-confidence or hubris. Man, what a great word. I'm going to start using that more. But it's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that. That's what it is to be meek. And what I want to encourage us with today is that we would be that kind of person like Jesus is that kind of person. We have Pastor Dwight come, and he's going to share reflections on this, and we're going to have communion together today. But as we reflect on this, can we... I would just love for us to think about how we can be meeker. How can we be more of a meek person? How can I be more like Jesus, laying myself aside, trusting in his goodness, 
All I know is the word says in Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. It's not those who take for themselves, but it's those who wait on the Lord who are truly strong. And by the way, I can't forget about that last part. Last thing he says, that it's the meek who will inherit the earth. Why is that? Because everything that the proud are working for, they're going to lose because they're not in God. And the only thing we can hold on to is what we have in Christ. And th so blessed are the meek, those of us who are turned away from ourselves and towards the Father, because we are the ones who are going to inher inherit the new heavens and the new earth when they come. And so if that's not you, perhaps you've never trusted Jesus. Look, today we want to give you that opportunity before you leave. Or if you're online, you can text us to the text line, and we'll call you and lead you through what it means to know Jesus. But I know this, that there's life in only one place, and that is Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this podcast from New Covenant Fellowship. We'd love to connect with you. If God spoke to you today, if you'd like someone to pray for you, you can text us at 405-518-5164 or visit us at ncfokc.org to find other ways to connect with our church. God bless. Have a great day.